Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, Episode 31. This is the 200 Churches Podcast, created to encourage and inspire pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who lead and pastor in a 200 church and strive to provide information and encouragement to make you smile, think, and be challenged. The Batman and Robin of Ministry Podcasts, Jeff and Johnny. Thank you for listening to the 200 Churches Podcast. This is Jeff Cady, and I'm here with my friend, Johnny Craig, and we are joined today by Carl Vaders. In fact, you're going to hear him today, but Carl joined us about a week ago, and uh, we recorded a call with him. We had a great conversation. Uh, It lasted a long time, and we have edited it down to 30 minutes, and this conversation is basically Carl's story. Uh, I think it's really going to be encouraging to those of you who pastor 200 churches. Yeah, we got done talking to Carl, and we were just both excited, uh, excited about small church ministry, excited about his vision over at newsmallchurch.com, and excited, re-energized about 200churches.com. He has a great he has a great vision and, and great ideas about small church ministry, and I think that you guys are really going to love what he has to say. And Carl has provided us with five copies of his book, and his book is basically his heart and his vision for small church ministry. It's called The Grasshopper Myth, Big Churches, Small Churches, and the Small Thinking that Divides Us. And so we've got five uh, signed copies. Uh, we'd like to give them away. And if you would go to 200churches.com slash grasshopper, that will tell you exactly what you need to do to enter to receive one of these five copies. Again, it's 200churches.com slash grasshopper. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Carl. Carl, you're with newsmallchurch.com, and you are a champion of... Uh, small church ministry and small church pastors, and we we discovered you. I don't know a month or two ago, and it was it was great for me to actually find somebody else who was excited about small church ministry and encouraging pastors of small churches. So, tell us a little bit about your story and and how you got to where you're at. Yeah, well, first, right back at you when we discovered each other, and I found 200 churches. I had the same excitement about finding someone who had a similar heart. So yeah, I appreciate that we've been able to find each other in this. Yeah, my story is um, I fell into small church ministry probably the way most do. I didn't think it was going to happen to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I, I thought, I'm smarter than that. I'm better than that. I'm whatever than that, right? And uh, I found myself in a small church and a great small church doing well and started you know, utilizing all of the church growth principles. I'm, I'm just 20 minute drive away from Saddleback Church, for example, and used a lot of those and they started to work. We actually moved out of our uh, permanent church facility, moved into a school for a little while because it was about twice our size. Uh, we, so every Sunday we packed up everything out of our chapel, reset it back up in a, church, in a school, unpacked the school at the end of it and brought it back and put it into our chapel for our midweek services. And God bless the people that followed me and did that. Now, how many people did your chapel hold at that time? Well, that that was well, that was part of the challenge and part of the the, the problem, really. Our chapel, and it's it's our chapel now. Uh, it holds, you know, if you've got 120 people in there, you've got standing room only. And we were running two services, and we were only running about two thirds size. But all the church growth books said, get a bigger place before you need a bigger place. Eighty percent. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So we're pushing that 80% deal, so we moved out. And when we got there, we actually did grow. We jumped from low 200s to high 300s 
in the in a matter of about a year. Um, but through a whole bunch of circumstances, we ended up losing that school and ended up going back to the chapel at about the same time as the growth that we had. As quickly as it came, it left. Mm. And uh, you know, trying to figure out what happened to all these people and why did they all leave made me also ask the question, well, why did they all show up to begin with? Yeah. And the reason they showed up to begin with was because we were doing all of the, for lack of a better word, hype. You know, all the stuff that goes along with being in a new building and, hey, this must be that happened in church because it's growing and the people came. But we found that by setting up and tearing down in a new place, uh, we lost some of the glue. The regulars were doing all the setting up and tearing down and weren't around to be the social glue to keep the new people in. That was one thing. The second thing was uh, most of the people that came in, that extra 150 that came in in that year, they were almost all church people. Um, they just were going to the latest, coolest church that had the new building and was, looked like they were doing something. And so when another church came along and did something cooler, they went off again. You know, I live in Orange County. We got people in churches everywhere. So there's this massive number of people that transition from place to place. And uh, anyway, bottom line through all of that, I got very discouraged, very frustrated. When we went back to that, to our current church building, uh, I was I was just lower than low because um, I just thought that's it. I've failed. I live in Orange County. It's mega church central. If I can't build a big church in Orange County, then I don't know what to do well, and even to do that where you, you kind of, you go up really high and you're, you're flying, you're flying really high, and then all of a sudden you, you bottom out, that, that, that's going to discourage anybody. Yeah. Well, not only that, we, we not, only, not only did we drift back to our, pre, our, our previous numbers before we moved to the school, we lost a third of the ones we had before we went to the school. So we dropped down, my guess is somewhere in the mid 100s, maybe low 100s on some Sundays. Truthfully, I know the numbers when we were big because it's awesome counting when you're big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I stopped counting when we started drifting because it just hurt too much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that focus on numbers, you know, you're you're either going to well, get overinflated or you're going to get uh, completely deflated. And I did both. <laughs> yeah, I jumped right into both of those pools. I was the awesome guy on the block when things were growing. And I was a complete abject failure in my eyes, and I was convinced in God's eyes uh, when we when we drifted down to almost nothing again. How did your leaders how did your leaders react to that? Did they were they kind of like with you in that? Virtually to a person, everybody when we went back to the our original church building was like, "Oh, thank God, we're back here again, and we don't have to do really." All that yeah, they went with me because they loved me and because they believed the stuff that I believed. But they came to the realization that it wasn't working long before I did. Mm. But their delight in being back in a church angered me even more. And I really spiraled down into a... At one point, I asked my counselor, what is this? Is this depression? Is it midlife crisis? Is it burnout? He said, I don't know. I don't care. Pick whatever name you want that makes you happy. But let's just get the thing figured out. Let's just get the thing fixed. So I think I had a combination of all of those and then some. Uh, I was mad at myself. I was mad at the church. Quite frankly, I was mad at God. He set me up with all these things that were supposed to work, and they didn't work. And I was ticked. And uh, so I went to a, a, a really good Christian counselor in the area who has spent over 20 years in pastoral ministry himself. And after, at about our third or fourth time together, 
uh, by the time he felt I was ready to hear it, he said, Carl, I think what you need to do is you got to figure out how to redefine success. And when he said that, I wanted to punch him in the nose. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, you, you defined it when it was up, and then you lost it when it went down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, when he said redefine success, what I thought he meant was, you've been trying to jump a 10-foot bar. You can only hit 8 feet, so drop the bar to 8 feet, jump over that, and call it success. You know, I thought he was talking about lowering my expectations and, you know, and, that, and, and what he was saying was, no, it's not about jumping a bar. That's not the definition of success. If you spend your life figuring out how to jump that bar but neglect your family, you cannot call yourself a success. So what, uh, what, what was it that kind of brought you around to the embrace of small church? Um, what, I mean, what, did, was it just talking to this counselor or... I mean, what what eventually convinced you, hey, it's not so bad to be a small church. There's a lot to be said for uh, small church ministry. Yeah, there was no one thing. There was no even two or three things. It was a series of things. That was one of them. It was also well, one big moment for me. We, were in, uh, we had come back to the church again. We had uh, worked really hard and kind of gotten our feet back under us again. The church was growing a little bit again, so we... We were up from the low 100s to maybe the mid 100s again and, you know, starting to move forward. And I started talking to my staff one day in staff meeting about, okay, we need to do things to get these numbers up. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I realized how stupid I sounded. And I realized the danger zone I was in because that was the old me talking. And I stopped almost mid-sentence and I looked at my entire staff and I said, that's it. We've got to stop thinking like a big church. We're not a big church. We've got to stop thinking numbers. We are the size we are, and we need to be the best church of this size that we can possibly be. If that means there's numerical growth, great. If it means there's no numerical growth, at least we'll have a healthy small church. Let's figure out what that looks like and how to do that well. Hey, Carl, how many, how many churches do you think are out there that, and pastors that have, um, that have tried to grow their church, they've grown their church, or they haven't grown it? You know, either it's gone up like yours did and then it just uh, bottomed out, or it just never went. I mean, for the number of pastors that are out there that have actually, you know, grown their church into 1,000, 2,000 plus, how many guys out there haven't and are sitting at, any degree of disappointment, discouragement, and depression because of that? Without question, the vast majority. I mean, 80% of the churches in the world are under 100 people, you know, um, which means there's no question, uh, probably the majority of those are either have experienced that, what you're talking about, or are experiencing it, or you've got a whole bunch of people who just aren't in ministry anymore because they just gave up because they weren't given an alternative. One of the pieces that I wrote on my website recently was, you know, grow it or close it. Is there a third option for struggling small churches? Mm -hmm. All we've been told for years, all I was told for years was grow it or close it. Well, if a thing can't grow, should we close it down? Nobody came up with the third option, which is let's come up with what, what a healthy small church looks like. We can be healthy and small. We don't have to be constantly adding numerical growth as the only sign of health that anybody, well, financial growth would also be considered a sign of health and maybe building growth too. I, I, I've got a friend who used, says it's about the, the three B's, but, butts, butts, bucks, and buildings. <laughs> don't measure growth, you know, health in the church anymore. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what we really need, right? We need people in the pews. We need finances in the offering plates. And I don't remember what the other one was because it probably wasn't important. Building, yeah. right? Bigger buildings. Okay. Now, last night, we were Johnny and I were driving, and he said to me, so is is it a lie that's been foisted onto us for years now that all healthy things grow? If it's healthy, it will grow. Now, I know what I told Johnny last night while we were talking about that. How would you answer that? Don't all healthy things grow? Yes, they do. <laughs> okay, so... Would so, you like a slightly longer answer than that? Well, just a different answer, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yes, they absolutely do, uh, but they don't necessarily grow in size. Uh, one of the illustrations I use in the first chapter of my book is about seven or eight years ago, there was a, a lady in our church came to me in the hallway, and she was laughing. She said, you're not going to believe what my daughter said yesterday, and her daughter was about six at the time. She said she's at this age where she thinks... The older you are, the taller you are. And she can't figure out how her grandma is older than her mom because grandma's so tiny. And as we're talking about this, all of a sudden she goes, oh, Mom, Pastor Carl must be the oldest person in the whole world. <laughs> I'm six foot six and I'm the tallest person she'd ever seen. You are old. <laughs> exactly. I must be ancient. And, and it's a great illustration. I think a lot of us have that kind of an immature approach to what growth means. I stopped growing in height in my early 20s, but hopefully I haven't stopped growing in ways that matter more ever since then. I and think churches are the same way. We get to certain sizes, and I believe that for most churches, there's probably even an optimal size. This is the size at which God can use us the best, but being used by God at that size is the way we grow from that point on. I think that I think that what you're saying is completely true, and I think Jeff and I are what well, we're trying to encourage pastors uh, at 200 churches. We're trying to encourage them: Hey, grow your impact, grow grow your impact in the community, your impact in the world. You know what what is your church known for? Are you outward facing or are you constantly inward facing? And yeah, maybe maybe you're going to be a 200 church forever, but that doesn't mean that the number of people impacted by your ministry has to be 200. That number can grow and grow and grow exponentially. Uh, that doesn't mean they're ever going to want to come to your church for a variety of reasons, but that doesn't mean that you're not healthy if you're growing your impact. Yeah, that actually goes back to the question that you asked earlier, Jeff, about how I became comfortable and okay and, in fact, quite joyous in my pastoring of a church of my size. We, we looked around and we asked ourselves, what do we do well already? And I think that's one of the best ways we find God's calling, either personally or for a church. Let's not, you know, there's a combination of things. And one of the things is, what do we do well already? What kind of comes naturally for us? And we looked around and realized we did two things really well. One thing we do really well is we help to rechurch the dechurched. That is, the typical person who maybe after high school going to college leaves church, they end up, you know, shacking up with somebody for a while, having a couple kids. Maybe they get married at some point, maybe they don't. But at some point when the kid's about four or five, they say, hey, my friend goes to church. What's a church? Hmm. And dad or mom panics and goes, oh, my goodness, I'm raising a heathen here. I don't yeah. know what I do. <laughs> And they say, i got to get my family back to church, but I don't want to go to the church I left because that's why I left it. And we tend to find, we have a lot of families, young couples particularly with kids, who come to our church uh, in that situation. Those people take longer to build trust with and to rechurch than a brand new person walking in ignorantly off the street because they've got damage that needs to be repaired. 
So our front door is a little bit slow because of the types of people that tend to be attracted that to, to our, our congregation. We don't have a lot of first-time conversions. I'm just, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I have the command to evangelize, and I obey that command, but I don't have that gift. So I, I don't, you know, when I throw an altar call, they don't just rush down all getting, all, you know, getting saved all at one time. They I, don't. Our church does. <laughs> yeah. you know, I admire those who have that gift, and I thank God that the body of Christ has people like that who have that gift. I'm just not one of those. But I can sit down with the couple that comes in with really tough questions about previous churches' behaviors and previous churches' theologies and why I'm a church and why I'm mad at God. And I can sit down with them over a cup of coffee, over a meal, or over multiple meals and multiple cups of coffee over a period of months until trust is built. That's a slow incoming front door. So we do that well. The second thing we do well is we're really good at training people and sending them off into ministry. We've got uh, Bible colleges in the area where a lot of students come and visit us. We've got an internship program where we train kids from around the world, four or five of them at a time, who come for 10 months. And they go back to their home churches, literally around the world. We, we train them from Europe, from Africa, from Asia. We've had them from every continent but Australia at this point. Well, I guess Antarctica, we don't have any of them there. <laughs> um, and we send them out again. So both of those things, we have a slow incoming front door, and we have a really fast open back door, but the back door is sending people out into ministry. So it, do I have church growth the way many define it? No. But I am I contributing to the growth of the church? Absolutely. Our church is a lot the same, Carl. <laughs> um, we have uh, we have people that are coming to church who just either haven't been to a church before or have been to a church and not really been involved in it because of the kind of a church it was. And then we also have a Christian college right here in our community. So we do very very similar type things with our church. And so I wanted to ask you about this book that you've written, this book about grasshoppers. And um, t- just t- tell, us about, tell us about how you came to write this book and, and really what is the big idea behind it. Uh, well, it was during this process that I've talked about, and I started just writing down some of my frustrations and my why didn't they tell me this in Bible college moments until I had stacks and stacks of post-it notes and envelopes and napkins all over the place. And I started assembling in the mall, and I actually did a short leadership treat with our church where I kind of presented some of those ideas to them about here's what we need to be looking at it, here's how we need to restructure our thinking about our size and about our ministry. And as it was over, and basically I said a couple times in the middle of it, why isn't somebody written this? Why don't we have a book about this? And my wife and my youth pastor, uh, both independently of each other, came to me after that session and said, you realize that's a book, and you're the one who's going to write it, right? <laughs> I was like, what? And you said, and you guys are the ones who are going to help me. Exactly. Uh, you know, they, said, they both said, quit whining about nobody writing a book. You're a writer. Write the book. So I assembled all of these notes. I started putting it all together. I worked for actually a couple of years on bits and pieces trying to figure out how to write this whole thing in a book and then put it all together. And, and the big idea, the title of the book is The Grasshopper Myth. It was actually the last thing I wrote of the entire book was those three words. That, that title was a hard one to come up with. Uh, and the subtitle is Big Churches, Small Churches, and the Small Thinking That Divides Us. And the premise of the title comes from Numbers 13.33, where the spies have come back from the promised land and they say, we've seen giants in the land. And then they have this quote, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Hmm. 
premise is if if we have an okay understanding of who we see in the mirror and how God made us, as long as we don't perceive our smallness as being less than, as long as we don't see a grasshopper in the mirror, nobody else will. There's a quote attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt that says, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Mm. And the grasshopper mentality is us giving consent to ourselves and to others to make us feel inferior. And so, uh, you know, I used to go to these conferences and I'd come away just feeling just inferior, feeling bad, feeling awful, because I can't pull off all the great things that I heard all of these testimonies about. Now I can go and truly rejoice and celebrate in the great things that God is doing in other churches that are growing, that are bringing people to Jesus, that are discipling them, walk away and rejoice in the growth of the kingdom of God and not make not have that make me feel less than. Carl, God has helped me kill that grasshopper. Off recording, we talked a little bit about heroes, but I would just, I think that's valuable. Um, So I'd like to talk about that just a little bit now on the podcast. Um, I was saying, you know, I'm 27 years old. Most of my ministry heroes come out of large churches. And I think that uh, you pinpointed maybe the reason for that is, uh, well, if you have a big platform, a large church, you have a better chance of a publisher, right, wanting to put your name on the cover of a book, and then your name can get out there more, and it's kind of this self-perpetuating cycle. So do you do you see a need for, for young guys like myself, other pastors, um, to have heroes who are in small churches? Uh, I don't know, small church hero is, uh, maybe we'll start another site, smallchurchheroes.com, but how how can we connect you think, with other, and I think your website does a great job, what, what kind of ways can we find to, to get guys, small church heroes, so they can say, hey, there is value, there is growth, there is kingdom potential in a small church? Most Christians have small church heroes already, because if you ask almost any Christian about their testimony, at some point or another, there was a small church they went to when they were in college or when they were growing up or whatever, where their path took them up coffee and spent time with them and mentored them and it's a part of their story but it doesn't get told because we live in this atmosphere of bigger is better so much that we we kind of overlook the value of that so i think first of all a lot of us just need to look back at our own history and realize wait a minute look look at these people and what they did for me and how they mentored me and how they brought me along and i think secondly we live in an era right now where we can do what you and i are doing right now which is for free on this thing called Skype, for free on this free thing called the Internet, we are talking across about a thousand miles and we are going to put it up where other people can come and listen to it for free from their computer. There's there's nothing stopping us anymore from getting the word out. Um, you know, I built my website by Googling how to build a website and built it myself for free and everybody else can come to it and watch it for free and it can be seen and it is seen and I think at this point I'm at over a hundred countries that have come and have have viewed at least something on my website just over the last few months so the gatekeepers are gone the gatekeepers that say you've got to have X amount of money before you can reach X amount of people Mm -hmm. I can literally reach anybody on the face of the earth for free right now it just takes the will to do it and I think we need to use the technology that's now available to link arms like you guys are with us right now and like I'm trying to do with every other good small church ministry I can find and just use this amazing technological pulpit 
to get the message out. I, I, there's never been a better time on the face of the earth for this message to get out in a big way and reach the maximum number of people possible. That's, that's why I'm doing it. That's what I chose to do in my way. And then I think from there, it becomes connections. It's networking. It's somebody saying, hey, I heard about this guy or I heard about this ministry. I read this book. I listened to this podcast and passing it on to others. And because of technology, it can spread now like it never could spread before in history. Now, I was going to ask you what your vision is for NewSmallChurch.com. And, and I think basically you've just shared that vision is that, that a network of small church pastors can and small church ministries can uh, form that is, uh, that is visible enough and that is out there enough for small church pastors to access and to be encouraged and inspired through. Absolutely. My... my um mission statement for my for newsmallchurch.com is in, in encouraging connecting and equipping innovative small church leaders and each of those words matter I'll go through them real quick encouraging obviously you guys are doing that as well letting them know you can be a great church while being a small church connecting again I already talked about knowing that you're not alone is a massive part of understanding the value that you have how do I contribute to the overall growth of the kingdom of God even if it doesn't result in butts in the seats in front of me on Sunday. Uh, Equipping, you know, now that we know that small churches can be okay, let's figure out ways to help them be good and help them be healthy. There's very little material out there because we've been told for years the small churches basically aren't good, aren't valid, so why would we come up with material for it? So we've got to start equipping each other. And then the, the word innovative, small church leaders, that word innovative matters to me. I quoted you guys in my post today where you said, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact quote, uh, we're not going to settle for small for the sake of small is a loose paraphrase. Right. And I couldn't agree with you guys more. If, if you're just wanting to sit and do nothing, then God bless you, uh, but I'm not planning to participate with you in that. Right. I want to see people who want to be innovative and creative and passionate and forward-looking and outward-looking and and even if it doesn't mean an increase of butts in the seats, they want to see the biggest impact they can possibly have for the kingdom of God, and they're going to use any innovative method they possibly can for that. Well, uh, as, and, go ahead. as we talked last week about uh, how shocking it was when uh, both of us at different times ended up going on to the internet and looking for you know encouragement for pastors of small churches, podcasts or websites or blog posts for pastors of small churches. We just literally weren't weren't able to find hardly any, and certainly none that really had much of any substance or or history or track record behind them. So. Yeah, it was amazing to find that there are actually uh, very few websites, very few resources out there just to encourage and inspire pastors of small churches. So I was excited when I found yours, and I'm excited to see what what God's going to do as we partner together and as we network with other ministries, other men and women uh, who are also passionate to encourage pastors and leaders in small churches. Yeah, absolutely. We live in an era now where, you know, it cost me money to get my book printed. That's, you know, that was an outlay expenditure that I had to save up some money for. But the website hasn't cost me, you know, a hundred bucks. And some of that hundred bucks that I spent, I really didn't have to. I just wanted it to be a little extra nice. So I spent, you know, 50 bucks for a premium WordPress theme instead of going with a basic one, you know. 
uh, it, it really is virtually free. And it, it, what it takes is it takes the will, the passion. Quite frankly, it takes a ton of time. And and I think it's going to come mostly from guys like you and me, Jeff. Not to leave Johnny out of it. Sorry, bud. <laughs> <laughs> but it takes having some time under your belt in this. You know, I've been 30 years in ministry, 20 in this particular small church. And five years ago, I wasn't ready for this message myself, let alone to be able to teach it to others. Yeah. I had to walk through my difficult seasons to understand them and then to be able to relate now to the people who are emailing me and calling me and saying, here's how I feel. What do I do with this? Uh, a lot of times I, you know, I go, hey, I don't know enough about that to know. But a lot of times I can go, you know what? That sounds very familiar to me. I went through that. Here's what I did. Mm-hmm. And there's no substitute for just keeping at it over a, over a period of time. And now finding guys like you, like me, who have spent enough time in the trenches, not to become awesome and great or whatever, although you and I both are. Obviously. Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> but just simply to have enough experience that they can then relate their life experience into the lives and ministries of others who are just starting out. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, and and you know, you talk about us guys who are older, and there really is no substitute for experience. Um, but for us to be able to come alongside of guys like Johnny, the twenty and thirty somethings, and to encourage them as they're in their small churches, I think is is really invaluable. And they also now they have a completely different take on ministry than we did, and so. Combining, you know, the encouragement of maybe an older, experienced guy with the new thinking, with the new paradigms that the younger generation holds, I think can be really, really a great combination to move the church forward. No question about it. From one old fart to all the other old farts that are listening to this podcast, listen to the young guys. Yes. I like that. That sounds great. (laughs) Pay attention, because our experience added to their um, contact and touch with the current um, culture is so vital. We live in an age now where I, I tell my staff, if we're not thinking, rethinking how we do ministry in every one of our departments, at least as often as Microsoft comes out with a new Windows, hmm. we're behind the curve. <laughs> yeah, so that's at least every, what, five or six years? You've you got to think about it that quickly and once once you reach my age in ministry that's harder to do we just don't move that fast no more yeah right so i need younger people around me who can alert me to that and then i need to be open to listen to them rather than being i i can't be the bodyguard at the door that says no stop that is not a good idea my my biggest job in ministry is to figure out how to say yes to the younger guys Absolutely. You're singing my song. I don't know how many times Johnny, Johnny and I have had those exact conversations. And, 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 I, and I, I've told him, listen, just because it didn't work for me, it doesn't mean it's not going to work for you. And my, my instinct is to say, oh, no, Johnny, you know, I've been there, done that. That's just not going to work. But it, that was the first few times. And then I realized, no, it didn't work for me, but it doesn't mean it's not going to work for him in today's context. Exactly. It may it may not have just simply been the right time, yeah. Or or you may have been lousy at it, and Johnny's good at it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, hey, Carl. Now that you're talking about me being lousy, it's time to wrap this <laughs> podcast up. So. Um...
I had to stop Jeff from hanging up on Carl at that point, but we just kind of wrapped up. He's ripping on me. <laughs> we He's dressing got, me down. We just kind of wrapped up our conversation after that, but that was a great conversation that we had with him, wasn't it, well, Jeff? Well, and the truth is, after, after that, we talked another 15 or 20 minutes, and uh, I, I wished we had recorded that because it was some really good conversation and just insights that he's had over the years. So it was great. So like we said before, we, we want to give away these five signed copies of The Grasshopper Myth. You've heard Carl. You've heard his heart and his vision for NewSmallChurch.com, for small church ministry. This is an excellent book. 200churches.com slash grasshopper. Follow the instructions there uh, and, w- and get yourself a copy of The Grasshopper Myth. Next week on the podcast, Johnny and I are talking about why we must explore creative communication methods in our communication of the gospel and in our teaching of scriptures and in our church services. We've got to do things differently, and we've got to constantly explore and find best practices. We're talking about that next week on the podcast on episode 32. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 200 Churches podcast. Feel free to give the guys feedback or ask questions at 200churches.com. And remember, the leadership that you provide in your 200 church matters big in the kingdom of God.